Any of you guys remember your first job? Yeah? There's some laughing, because sometimes our first jobs are something else. My first, like, official job, not, not that it didn't count, but, you know, mowing lawns or babysitting, but where, you know, I went to an employer, and they had a paycheck and a W-2 and all that, was McDonald's. And uh, I had a, a wonderful time actually working at McDonald's. It was great. I was with some friends. We had a great experience there. We would sing to people in the drive-thru, and uh, we just made it a lot of fun. But uh, every day I would come home, and uh, for, for months even after I no longer worked there, I just had grease all over me, right? But I was offered a new job at 17 years old at Saks Fifth Avenue. Ooh, Yeah. So my job, I started as a young man in the receiving department, so I would get uh, the clothes that would come in, and my job was to tag them. And let me tell you, even back, uh, you know, 30 years ago, that was pretty amazing, the prices that I would put on those things. Uh, but quickly, uh, soon after being there, uh, somebody noticed something in, in the way I was working, and I got a promotion. And so check this, my second job, 17 years old, my job was to be the delivery boy. Because even back before, you know, DoorDash or anything, if you were a uh, VIP customer at Saks Fifth Avenue, you could have your clothes delivered to your house. So my job, uh, every day that I showed up there for work that I was scheduled, was to take the company car to get it washed, because you had to make a good impression, and drive and deliver uh, these packages to people. And I can tell you, I won't tell you now, but some really strange stories of some of those deliveries. (laughs) But then once again, I got a promotion. So at 17 years old, uh, one of the perks of my job was uh, they did runway shows at Saks Fifth Avenue there in Michigan. And so my job, you can just imagine 17-year-old Stephen driving to the airport and picking up the models for the runway show and driving them, making sure they got food, taking them to, to the show, and then taking them back. Now, before you get any ideas, I'm going to tell you, I had no game or anything, and so they paid no attention to me, but I would try to drive around and find my friends, like take the long way, you know, maybe somebody would see me with the back, you know, they're all in the back seat, they're not, none of them are talking to me or anything, uh, but that was my experience in my first job, but I was promoted uh, because they saw something different in me, and my employer actually said, they said, you're dependable, And you show up, and frankly, most young people don't. And that was even back 25, 30 years ago. But we're in a series, uh, we're in the third week of a series called Show Up, a call to live a life of everyday faithfulness. We've been talking about the faithfulness of God. Last week, we talked about faithfulness in our family. And today, we're going to talk about how do you show up? How do you have faithfulness in your work? And so we're using this definition of faithfulness, that your beliefs showing up in your behaviors. But that's what it means to, to live a life of faithfulness. It's for what you believe to show up in how you act. And this morning, we're going to be jumping around uh, a few different verses. But if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you, open up to the book of Genesis. We're going to see even how the, from the very beginning in the creation that God was all about showing up to work. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We read these, this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. Now, let's get something just out of the way here to make sure we understand. God wasn't tired, right? He didn't need to catch his breath. He wasn't worn out. But he was establishing a pattern for us of what it means to work 
and then to rest. So he didn't rest in the sense that we might need to rest after we work real hard, but he ceased at that moment creating. Because the reality is that God never stops working, right? We actually sang a song about that last week. We sing that Waymaker, right? That he never stops working. Even when we don't see him working, he's working. John chapter 5, Jesus tells us this. He said, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. He, he was actually breaking this establishment, they thought at least, that God had established of resting on the seventh day. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. See, even when we don't see it, God is working. But let's, let's go on here to verse 15. So we see in this, in this second chapter of Genesis, God has done some creation, and it's an amazing story. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you this afternoon, read the second chapter of Genesis to see what God did, the work that he did to create this world. But in verse 15, he says this, the Lord God took the man that he'd created Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. See, we see that we were made to work. We were made to work. God designed us to work. And because of that, we know that God cares about our work. He cares about what we do. Work is important. Even work that sometimes uh, we, we don't always think is important because God designed us to work. We actually usually define people by what they do for a job, don't we? But God created us in his image before he ever gave us a job. We're all the image bearers of God. It's the Latin word, imago Dei. And it means that we were created in the image of God and God worked. And we are called to work. Dr. Brian Chappelle in his book, Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and Glory of Your Job, said that your value came before you even performed. That value comes before performance. That we were made in the image of God as workers to work. Before we ever did anything, God established us as his own. We were created in God's image. Now, we aren't God, but we are his image bearers. Sometimes we, when a new baby is born and the pictures go on Facebook, you see all these posts, oh, it looks just like your mom or just like your dad. Or maybe you have a strong resemblance to your parents. And we use the phrase that you're the spitting image of them, right? God has called us, created us to be his spitting image. So our work matters. When people see us, do they think of God? Are we the spitting image of God. Now, not all work is glamorous. Not all of us are blessed enough to be able to drive supermodels around in a car at 17 years old. And not all the work that we do seems worthy, right? There, I've heard stories of people that they just have these jobs where they say, I feel like I'm, I think the phrase is, I'm digging a hole and then I'm putting it back, filling it back up with dirt just over and over again. A job that doesn't seem to make any sense. Some of us see the fruits of our work, but others of us, we have a job where we might not see it as much, even in my job, especially in my job here now as I've transitioned into this lead pastor role here, it's often tough to see the fruits. We do things, we don't always see the change in people's lives, or we don't know if what we're doing really makes a difference. I know that back when I started a ministry, I had a friend of mine, we would say, sometimes we just want to go get a job where at the end of the day, you can see everything that you did, and you can walk away from it and say, I did that. I see what this accomplished today. 
But we know that God rewards faithful workers. And our value, as we see from the section we just read in Genesis, is not in what we do. It's who we were created to be, the image bearer of God. But if work is something good that God made us for, then why do so many of us dread our work? There was a song in the 80s from the group Loverboy, Everybody's Working for the Weekend. You guys remember that? It's like, I just want to get through this so I can get to the weekend. They even made a restaurant, TGI Friday, right? Thank goodness it's Friday because I'm done with this job and now it's time to have some fun. So if, if God created us to work and God himself worked, why do so many of us dread our work? We find the answer just in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, after the, what we, we know as the fall, right? The temptation of Adam and Eve and them giving in. We see the consequences of sin entering the world. And that forever changed our relationship to our jobs. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from... The, by the way, this is not an excuse to not listen to your spouse, Okay. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." We see the consequences of sin entering work in that moment. Now, if you're familiar with this story, God first curses the snake, the serpent, and then says what the curse is going to be upon women, that they will have pain in childbirth. This is actually the same word that's used for the pain that Adam's going to experience in work. It's a consequence of living in a fallen world because Adam, up to that point, and Eve as well, were working. But guess what? They were working in a place that we refer to as paradise. So their work was not a struggle. It was easy and fulfilling and rewarding and a blessing. See, work is not a curse. I know sometimes it feels that way, but work is not a curse. Work isn't the result of the fall. Work originally was a source of joy. Work was not supposed to be a burden. Now, this seems almost unimaginable to us today because we usually use the word work in a negative sense. Think about how many live their lives in what they used to call a slave to the grind, only to retire and find they're bored out of their minds. Some of you might have even experienced that because many realize that there's something inherently good in work. God created it for us, but sin messed it up. There was a story in the Associated Press that said many people try to get away from their jobs when they celebrate their birthday. I actually know many employers that that have employees that say, it's my birthday, I can't show up today, I'm going to be late. But one man from New Jersey decided to do exactly the opposite. His name was Bill Hansen, and he celebrated his 100th birthday by returning to his job to work one day that he'd worked for 32 years. The CEO of his company, Hutchinson Plumbing, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, signed Hansen way back years and years ago, and he had signed him on for one day to come in and work on his 100th birthday. How many of you want to work on your 100th birthday? But he loved his job. 
his uh, apprentices that had worked under him for years said, I hope that I can be half of the worker that he is. And Hansen attributes his happiness to life, to his work, but also his relationship with his wife and his family. See, work wasn't cursed. The ground was what was cursed, if, we just, if you pay attention when we read that. God didn't curse work. He cursed the ground. That's where the pain comes from. There would be a struggle now at the center of Adam and Eve's center of their being. Women who were able to bear children would experience pain in that. And men would then have to work the land. Pain would be associated with that. But work is not a curse. Work is an opportunity. Work is not a curse. Work is an opportunity. Your work in itself can honor God. And you might say, well, I know, of course, I could be a pastor like you or a missionary. Or I could use the money that I raise in my job and give it to the church or help the poor. And I'd say, yes, that's true. You could. But all of us in our working, our work itself can honor God. Because God established that as a way to further his kingdom. He created Adam and Eve to work in the garden to expand the kingdom. And because of sin, things changed. But that calling on our life still exists to expand his kingdom through work. So we can honor God no matter what our job might be by expanding his kingdom. Work is not a curse. It's an opportunity. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes your work, do it all for the glory of God. See, work is a gift and an opportunity to put our faith in action, to demonstrate faithfulness. Remember, our definition of faithfulness is what we believe being put into action. Our work is a way we can demonstrate our beliefs put into action on a daily basis. It's an opportunity to give God glory It's an opportunity to live a life of everyday faithfulness. Now, I understand there are some jobs that make that difficult. There are some jobs that we probably shouldn't do that. There's no way we can redeem them and expand the kingdom of God and give them glory. But most of us have jobs where we can find ways to give God glory. But if you find yourself in a situation where your job might be working against the plans of God, then I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider what can you do about that? My brother-in-law years ago worked for a company. I won't say what it is, but they, they, uh, their whole company model, I might have told this story before, was designed uh, to take advantage of people that, that were struggling financially. And they would rent out furniture and video game systems and all sorts of things at exorbitant prices to take advantage of these people. And he said he had such a hard time because his job was to upsell things one time he would have a family come in and they, they, uh, they were not doing well financially, but they would want a PlayStation and they would rent it for, you know, $79 a month or some crazy number for that. And he would say, if you just save your money for two months, you can buy it. But people were doing that for years and years. And he told terrible stories uh, of having to go and repossess children's beds as they're crying on their bed because their parents were gotten in over their heads or were willing to pay for the PlayStation, but not for their beds. And this company's model was designed around that. And at one point he said, I can't do this anymore. I'm working against what God wants for the world by taking advantage of people. But most of us aren't in jobs like that. 
Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Paul's talking to uh, the church there and to Timothy, and he, he wants to tell them, he's explaining to them how to live their everyday life in faithfulness. And he says this in verse 9, he says, Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So they're doing well. He says, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more and more. So keep doing it. Here's what he says. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul is encouraging the church to keep demonstrating the love of Christ for each other. He says, keep doing it more and more. And then he gives them a specific way they can do that. He says, attend to your own business. Mind your own business. Now, this doesn't mean to ignore others or not be involved in other people's lives. But to not be someone who sticks their nose where it doesn't belong or to be a nuisance. And he's not saying don't care about other people's problems. Instead, we should be known, he says, as people who are trustworthy and easy to deal with. Then he says, work with your hands. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians are only supposed to do manual labor. But in the first century culture, honestly, not that much different from how it is today or how it once was in our country for sure. People that worked manual labor or worked with their hands were somehow considered uh, not as important to society or, or not as respected in the community. Now, that's changed, but, but there was a time, and even in this first century here, where only the rich people would have servants, and they would do manual labor. But if you were above that, you would not work with your hands. And, and Paul's trying to turn a new paradigm for the church and say, no, no, listen, be people who are willing to work with your hands. There's nothing lesser about that. I mean, even when I was a kid, uh, there was a big push, and, and most people would say, you know, you're not going to amount to anything if you don't go to college and go get a degree and do such and such, usually some kind of office job or something. We know now, that we knew then, but we recognize the society. Now, that's not the truth, right? Uh, actually, I had a friend in high school that dropped out of college, and man, everybody spoke negatively about him, including myself, how he wasn't able to get a job, and he wasn't able to support a family and all that. Uh, he makes more money than I will ever make as a plumber, ever in my lifetime. Because we understand that that's not the way things work, but the world often looked at things that way and did in the first century as well. And Paul is telling them to stick to their own business, don't butt in, but realize you're not above working with your hands. Paul isn't saying you can't have an office job, but he's leveling the playing field of those in society who thought they were better than others. He's helping the church to see the dignity of all work, that all of it is important to the kingdom. And he's setting an example for those in the church that may be a little full of themselves and treating others maybe as less than because they can hire somebody to do that. So let me ask you, what's your goal for working? Why should we work at all? Well, we were created to work, as we saw. Most of us would say, I do that to provide for my family. We read about this last week in 1 Timothy chapter 5. In verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith. So they're not faithful at all and is worse than an unbeliever. 
See, as a disciple, there has to be more than just working to provide for your family because even non-believers, even people who don't have a relationship with God, even people who are not like you, image, or they're all image bearers, but trying to advance the kingdom, even they provide for their families, Paul tells us. So what's the goal of us working? We talked about last week, our family. But Paul says, to make it your ambition. He says, make it your ambition to do this. Not to get to the top, not to be in charge, not to be the boss, not to make the most money. No, he says, make it your ambition to be a godly witness. We're called to work to be a witness. So we need to work to be a witness. Now, witnessing does not mean just preaching. I know many of us think, well, I'm not witnessing my faith because I'm not preaching. It, it, it can mean that. But what's your witness? Is there something different about you? There's something different about the way that you act on the job as an employee or as a boss. What's your witness? What are you proclaiming to the world around you? See, others should see your relationship with Christ and how you handle conflict, how you're generous to those around you, how you work selflessly in your giving, in your purity, in your honesty, in your work ethic. Your witness should make a positive impression. I don't know how many of you have seen the, the show. It was on years ago called The Office, but it was designed to show the everyday life of the American worker. And I don't know how accurate that is. I actually have never worked in an office like that, uh, but I've known some people that are like some of those characters. And, and the head boss there for a long time, to, until towards the end of the, the series, was Michael Scott. And he was notoriously a lazy person. He didn't work very much. And towards the end of the series, a new CEO took over, Joe Bennett, played by Kathy Bates. And she sat down with Michael one day. He wanted to release his employees early to go out to a party. And here's what Joe Bennett said. You're going to see a quote up here on the screen. She says, and you got to do this in her great Kathy Bates Southern accent, which I can't do. But if you, put, if you can put your name on this day and be proud of the amount of work you've done, then by all means, you should tootle on home. When Michael asked if they could be dismissed early, that was her response. If you can put your name on this day, be proud of the work you've done, then by all means you should tootle on home. I think this would be a good question for us to ask ourselves each day. Whether we're running a company, taking orders at a drive-thru, answering phones, tilling the ground, inspecting parts, managing a household, can we put our name on that day? Are we proud of the work that we've done? Have we been a witness? Are we working as a witness to who God is? Are we showing up in ways to give God glory? Kent Hughes in his commentary on that passage in 1 Thessalonians said, Christians ought to be the best in attitude, the best in dependability, and the best in integrity. All of us must be faithful workers. And then here's what just knocked me over when I read this, or we are sinning. We're not just slacking off. We're not just being lazy. Not showing up in our work, doing all that we can to give God glory, to be a witness. When we don't do that, we're not just slacking off. We're sinning. 
We're going against how God designed us to be, who he designed us to be, and to advance his kingdom in the world. When someone asks you what your job is, you'll often, they'll ask it this way. They'll say, what's your profession? Have you ever heard that before? The word profession actually has two meanings that we use in our English language. The first is how I just used it. What's your profession? Oh, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a construction worker, or I'm you know, a teacher, whatever it might be. But there's another definition of the word profession as well. Webster's defines profession as an act of openly declaring or publicly claiming a belief, faith, or opinion. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you professing in your profession? What are you professing in your profession? The way you're living your life, how is it professing God? What is it professing in the profession that you have, whether it's a student, a stay-at-home mom, CEO of a company, whatever it is, what are you professing? What's your life declaring to the world around you in your profession? Now, in the past few weeks, we've talked about what it look, could look like to live among our families, and now we see how can we live faithful in our jobs. But Jesus shares some words with us of how our lives should look how we can live a life of everyday faithfulness. Matthew chapter five. Jesus had just, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he says these words in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so you can get a promotion. No. So you can advance in your career, so you can make lots of money. No, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Work to be a witness. So how can you show up at work this week? How can you show up at work this week? Give you a couple ways as we close our time together. First, you can actually show up. Be the employee that's reliable. Be the one that's on time or early, that's dependable. Now, I've been a boss a few times in my ministry career, and in that time, unfortunately, there have been moments where I've had to let someone go. And in almost all of those situations, it was not because the person had a massive moral failure or they no longer believed in God or they committed some terrible crime or anything like that. It was because they just didn't do the work. They didn't show up. They weren't dependable. They weren't reliable. And as a disciple of Jesus, it should be all of our priorities to be good stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. This applies just as much to me as a pastor as it does to you in whatever job you may find yourself in. And while we might not be the boss or the person in charge of making those type of decisions of how resources are used, we are the person responsible for how this resource is used. Only us are accountable. Only we are accountable for our own resources of how we're using the time, the treasure, the talents, our bodies, our mouths, we're responsible for that. We're the person who's responsible for how we use the resources we have. And that means showing up on time, 
doing your work as if doing it for the Lord, right? As we read in that scripture, do good work. So the first way we can show up in our jobs this week, in our work, is to actually show up. The second is to pay attention to the needs of those that you work with. Not just their job needs, but I want to encourage you, take that next step. Be the employee that stands out for the kingdom of God. Don't just look for their job needs, but look for their emotional needs. All of us are capable of doing this. The Harvard Business Review did a study years ago about businesses that were thriving, and they found that businesses that were thriving had employees who were looking out for the emotional well-being of each other. Not, not necessarily believers in all these situations, but they recognized they needed to look out to love each other as we understand Christ has commanded us. In one nonprofit organization they studied, an executive's nephew was killed in a tragic accident just before a big, important board meeting. And instead of just saying, oh, we're sorry for your loss, is there anything we can do, which is a great place to start, they were creative and looked for a way to show up for that employee. They excused him from attending the board meeting. They took urgent tasks that he didn't have to do off his plate so that he could focus on what he needed to. This group donated their vacation days, went to the boss, and we want to donate our vacation days so that they can mourn and grieve and do the things they need to. They organized a tribute and showed up at the funeral service. These were non-believers who just said, we need to step up, we need to show up for the people that we work with. And God is calling us to do the same. Not just to do the minimum to get your paycheck, but be looking for the emotional needs of the people that you work with. How can you minister to them daily? And don't just pay attention to the needs of the boss or one that can maybe give you a little bump in pay or even the same person, same place on the org chart. Pay attention to the needs of the person who greets you at the door or answers the phone or the intern or the janitor. I had an experience several years ago. I worked at a very large church and they'd hired a, a building custodian to take care of the entire facility. He had a team that worked with him. And we would often say of John, uh, we really need to make him a pastor because honestly, he's more of a pastor than many of his pastors are. Because he took this opportunity in, in a job uh, that, that didn't have maybe the glitz and glamour of being up on the platform preaching or, or teaching Bible classes, of looking for ways to look out for the emotional needs of others. Even in a building full of Christians, it was the guy cleaning the restrooms that would sometimes, when you'd come out of a meeting and he could see that you were struggling or having a rough day, he'd say, how are things going today? And not just in the, hey, are you having a good day? But he said, no, I really want to know, how, how can I help you right now? I heard that there's a lot going on. How can I pray for you? That was obviously appropriate in that situation, and that might be appropriate in your job. Be the person who's taking the time to really see those around you. What was awesome about John uh, was he was hiring young men and women to work underneath him and training them to do the same thing. So as you would walk through our church building, it always wasn't pastors or church people, official church people that were taking care of the needs of people that would walk in. It might be the person sweeping the floor and they'd say, hey, are you okay? How can I pray for you? Or what do you need? How can I help you today? Be the employee or the boss who looks out for the emotional needs of the people around you. And finally, I want to give you one more. Before you go into work this week, 
Whether you're the owner of the company or you work in spreadsheets or you're stocking shelves or serving customers, before you get out of your car, I want you to spend a minute or two praying for the moments that you'll have that day. Each and every one of us have moments every day that we let slip by to be a witness to the people around us. And I don't mean just to preach to them. Matter of fact, that might be inappropriate in your job situation. You're not being paid to preach, right? It's not what your employer, unless, unless you're me, <laughs> most of your employers aren't paying you to go around and preach to people. But you can still be a witness in the way that you interact with them, in the work. And, and many of you have opportunities to actually physically, through your mouth, share in a Bible study or share the gospel. Seize those opportunities, but take the moment before you go into work tomorrow to pray for those moments that God's gonna give you, that you would take advantage of them, that you would look for ways to show up for the people around you, that you would work as unto the Lord. You'll get a side blessing of staying warm for a few extra minutes in your car, but unless you're late for work already, I wanna encourage you to take a moment and pray. Ask God to bless your day and to open up doors for you to have your eyes to see people as he sees them. And pray something like this. God, help me to be your witness today. Help me to say things and to do things that reflect your character and your love. Give me eyes to see the hearts of those who I can be Jesus to today. And one more thing. Think about this as a bonus exercise for you. Tell your boss you were at church Sunday and the pastor shared a scripture from the Bible that says how all of your work should be done as if you were working for God himself. So you're trying to be faithful to God and you want to know if there's something you could do that would serve them in the company. Now, first of all, they might be blown away by that. Not so that you get a promotion. You're not trying to get in good with the boss. But you want to grow in the character of everyday faithfulness. So that's how you can show up at work. Work is not a curse. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be a witness for who God is and what he's done in your life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for work. And we might be thinking that sometimes and other times we don't feel that way. But Lord, it is a blessing You've created us in your image to be beings who work. We thank you for that opportunity to be part of what you're doing in the world, to bring things back to the way that you originally intended through our work, to make the world better. Lord, help us to see how our work makes the world better and to lean into that. And as we do that, Lord, may we be a witness in our work. May the decisions that we make, the comments that we make, our behaviors, Sometimes just being the one who shows up, Lord, can it be a reflection of you? Uh, may we be a light to the world around us. God, when our employers and when our bosses, when, when we maybe are the boss, can the people that look at us in our job say something's different about them? That they would glorify the Lord as they learn more about who that is that's driving our witness, Lord. Who it is that's helping us to to work not for ourselves, but unto the Lord. So God, help us in our jobs to be your salt, to be your light of the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.